This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, sort of, and this is our new reading recommendation experiment, Human versus Algorithm. We are recording on August 31st. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Danica Ellis, my latest victim, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Danica. Hello. So you have been doing all the books still, right? I was trying to remember which other podcasts you do. Yeah, just all the books. Okay. Yeah. So this is a little different. Yeah. Yeah. It should be a a fun, different uh, format (laughs) to try. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. Uh, So how this show works is I picked four listener questions from the Get Booked archives. Actually, questions are still coming in. Let's be real. So I looked in the email inbox and the form. Um, I picked some questions. I tailored them a bit to Danica's, you know, expertise. (laughs) And then Danica and I split them up. Uh, We each took two where we're giving a personal like human recommendation and then two where we let the algorithm pick for us. So Mm -hmm. that is what is happening. This one is interesting because I didn't consider this when I was picking the questions. We have two questions that didn't actually start with a citation of a, a, a specific book. Yeah. So I almost swapped them out. And then I was like, no, wait, this has to work for all of these things. So I left them in. Um, Did that. How did you feel about your prep for this experiment? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I realized, do I know what an algorithm is? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I started looking things up and then being like, oh, well, if it's a Goodreads list, then it's chosen by a person Mm -hmm. but I'm like searching for it you you know like what what actually counts so I actually ended up with some that are sort of a mash of Mm. algorithm and human involvement (laughs) so we'll see interesting Um, yeah but definitely when there isn't when there's just one book that you want a read-alike for, it's very easy yeah. to search for a million different versions of if you liked this, you'll like that. Right. Some of them by human beings and some of them by algorithms. But right. when you're talking about something more general, it's a lot harder to come up with those specific search terms to punch into an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. It's super interesting. So, well, we'll get into the specifics. Um well, in a few moments here. All right. How is all right? How does I'm like, what am I doing next? Here we go. I'm reading the next question. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> it's, gonna it's get a, through it. Uh, we're going to do it. It's a real weird day here, y'all. So you're going to have to mm-hmm. bear with me. All right. So our first question is from Jessica, who says, this summer, Stranger Things ripped my heart out and left it in the upside down. I need something to get me through until it comes back. I've read Wilder Girls and The Fireman. Both were good and in the right ballpark, but maybe not a home run. I'm down with YA or adult. 
Okay, so after our sponsor break, we will give some recommendations. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. All right. So, yeah, Danica, you are the human for this recommendation. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. I have to start with a confession that I haven't watched the newest season of Stranger mm. Things yet. So, I don't know if there was a specific thing that ripped your heart out, but I did watch and love the earlier seasons, and I'm going to catch up in the next few weeks. Uh, but I'm basing this rack off kind of the general vibes and format of the show, and not specifically the last season. So my recommendation is Burn Down, Rise Up by Vincent Tirado, which is a horror YA novel. And it follows a group of friends in the Bronx who try like a copy pasta style challenge called the echo game. So this feels to me so much like what you would find if you just kept going down Reddit rabbit holes until you <laughs> ended up on these like copy pasta horror stories that almost it's, feel real. But is that the same thing as creepy pasta? Or is it? 
Did I just forget what creepypasta is? Yes. I don't know. Okay. Creepypasta. Okay, cool. I was like, wait, I I think I know what that means, but let me yes. double check. Okay. That is definitely what I meant to say. So <laughs> <laughs> it feels just like that where it is probably a bunch of people who are all in on the same story, but also maybe this is a real thing. Mm. So in this version of the Echo game, they go into the subway tunnels at exactly 3 a.m. and chant, we are Echo bound, and have to follow a bunch of other very specific rules. And when they do, they find themselves in a nightmare version of the Bronx. And here, there are people who are infected with mold until it consumes them. Cool. There are fires that burn endlessly. And there are giant centipedes who roam the streets and eat anyone they catch. So it reminded me, because the question specifically references the upside down, you've got kind of an element of that. This is a nightmare version of the worst time of the Bronx. And it also has a scrappy group of teens who are just trying to survive it, which definitely reminds me of Stranger Things. This is bloody and it has some serious body horror. But what I found interesting is that there's also some history of the Bronx because this is just an exaggerated version of the worst time in their history where a bunch of homes burned down um, that were because of slumlords. Mm. So this is just like an uh, an exaggerated horror version of this actual thing that happened. So if you want an anti-racist, sapphic YA, social thriller with the weirdness of Stranger Things, and you can stomach some body horror, I definitely recommend this one. It was actually marketed as Stranger Things meets Jordan Peele. So that is my pick. I think it really gets the vibes of Stranger Things. And what did the algorithm suggest? Well, it's interesting. First of all, that sounds like an amazing pick that I will never read because I cannot have that in my brain. Like, I would never sleep again. That's fair. That's fair. So my, like, spook meter is very low, as longtime listeners will know. But that sounds incredible for people who can handle it. Uh, So the algorithm, this was interesting because, you know, the two book examples, Jessica, that you gave, you liked them. But they weren't home runs, but that Mm. was what I was working with with the algorithm. So this might also be good, but not quite a home run. Uh, The algorithm, I used StoryGraph. I like StoryGraph's algorithm, honestly, because I think I like the fact that it's matching these mood words that are reader supplied, um, but suggested like when you review a book on StoryGraph, you know, it gives you sort of a list of like, which of these words, you know, would you say are Mm -hmm. accurate? Um, So it's 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 a little more corralled than like Goodreads, which is just a free for all. Um, But people are still weighing in. So there is a human element guiding the algorithm. Uh, So so StoryGraph came up with A Dark and Starless Forest by Sarah Hollowell, which also happens to be YA, side note, um, because I started with Wilder Girls. Right. I started with Wilder Girls and the mood words that it matched were dark, mysterious and tense, which all seem correct for Stranger Things. Right. Uh, and what I think is interesting about this book is that it is a sibling story rather than a friend group. So, again, not like a exact one to one. 
But there's like a lot of eerie location-y stuff. Um, the main character, Derry, lives in an isolated house uh, separated from the rest of the world by a very scary forest. She's got eight siblings. Um, there's a man named Frank who raised them after their families abandoned them and says like, it's for your own good. I think we can all see where this is going, right? Like, this is, this is, pro- and apparently there's magic involved. Um, and then, you know, uh, Derry's siblings start to disappear. And so she has to figure out, like, what is happening? What are the lies that she's been told? There's lots of darkness in, in all around. Um, and it just had the kind of vibe that I thought, yeah, like, that that could maybe work for uh, post-Stranger Things doldrums. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, that's A Dark and Starless Forest by Sarah Hollowell. It's interesting. I've heard about that one, and I've oh, been yeah? interested in it. But I got, like dark fairy tale retelling vibes from Mm. it which i can understand how the algorithm would click onto but i don't know that like if you asked a person they would be (laughs) comparing stranger things to dark fairy tales yeah it's a very wiggly thing to try to match you know yeah Um, and i'm trying not to lean too heavily on the scales as I do this, right? Like, that's the whole point. Like, the more right. we lean on the scales, the less the less algorithm it is. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's a constant struggle. I'm not going to lie. It's a constant struggle. All right. So I guess we should move on to our next question. Let's do it. So this one is from Molly. And she says, hi, guys. I will be attending law school this fall and will be moving out of Texas for the first time in my life and moving to California where I don't know anyone. I am 25 and would love to see if y'all have any recommendations for books about a main character around my age going to law school or moving to a new state where they don't really know anyone. Law school doesn't have to necessarily be the main focus of the book. Honestly, that sounds like it would be kind of a boring (laughs) book, but I would like to read about a main character in law school moving out of state for a huge change, similar to going back to school or even a book about someone my age fresh out of law school. I really like strong, almost overbearing female protagonists and tend to really relate to characters who speak their minds and take charge in every situation. I would prefer fiction as I have been reading way too many articles, nonfiction books, and papers about law school recently. I'm most interested in going into civil rights, reproductive rights, or immigration law. So bonus points if you can find a book that touches on one of those specific fields of law. I'm super open to genre, mystery, contemporary fiction, romance, etc. So give me whatever you got. Thank you, Molly. All right. So Molly, as is my want as the human recommender, I have hit some of your requests, but not all of them. It turned out that like, I couldn't I did not have an easy time finding books about people in law school I did, or novels mm-hmm. about people in law school that weren't like John Grisham or right. you know what I mean like that were mm-hmm. not like legal thrillers and that's mm-hmm. not what you're looking for I don't think I mean you might be open to that but you already know about John Grisham I'm pretty sure so the book that I have for you I focused I ended up focusing more on the California Texas bit as well as um you like strong female characters 
And the immigration thing. I think I found a book that you're going to find really interesting. It's Radiant Fugitives by Nawaz Ahmed. And one of our contributors, Cassie, helped point me towards this book. So shout out to Cassie. This is a like multi-generational family story um, about a Muslim Indian family that is living in both San Francisco and Texas during the Obama era. Uh, Seema is, was a political activist. Um, she is also a lesbian and was, you know, exiled from the family when she came out. So she has not been in touch with her family for quite some time. She is now pregnant and she's trying to, like, get you know, back in touch with her family. Um, her mother, Nafesa, is traveling to California from India. And then her very religious sister, Tahira, is an OBGYN in Texas. And so, like, you can see these women probably are all, you know, they're all coming from very different places and are struggling with their own life situations as well as the dynamics of their relationships with each other. Um, It's got a little bit of like a unique point of view thing too going on, which I think is fun. Um, And I think you'll just find this extremely absorbing and uh, yeah, like, again, not exactly what you're looking for, but I think it has enough of the things that you're trying to get some perspective on in your own life, hopefully, that it will satisfy you in some some of those ways. Uh, so again, that is Radiant Fugitives by Nawaz Ahmed. So this question, I went on a whole journey with. <laughs> <laughs> because this is when I realized, like, do I know what an algorithm is? Right. So I, <laughs> I started off on Goodreads list, but first I Definitely got the impression that authors were voting their own books up. Oh, if you hundred percent, yeah, Goodreads list. You know the like questionable uh, books that end up on the top of lists that it doesn't make any sense on. So I left and then realized I guess that doesn't really count as an algorithm anyway because <laughs> people made that list. And I was trying to find ones that hadn't already been used on the show. So I was trying to do something other than the story graph. So I tried just searching on Amazon for law school and still filtering by fiction and see what it put at the top. But um, that was just useless because (laughs) most of it was journals and just like junk that wasn't even books. And Mm. then the first novel that came up was The Alchemist, which I don't believe is (laughs) a novel about law school. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, if if we were just going with the first one the algorithm showed me, it would be The Alchemist. (laughs) So then I kept, and I had initially thought of, because this is how little I know about law school, I was thinking, like, Legally Blonde, books like Legally Blonde, and I almost searched for that. But then I thought it would be kind of tipping the scales too much because obviously you didn't actually mention Legally Blonde. So I started just searching Google for a fiction set at law school. And again, I don't know whether this counts as an algorithm. Like it does choose. Yeah. The algorithm chooses how to rank these. Yep. So the, the first thing it pulled up and had in that little clip that it has at the top of the page was a list of law school novels that started with Legally Blonde, which I did not know was a book first. Me neither. Maybe everyone knew that, but I had no idea. 
Um, so if you aren't familiar with Legally Blonde, <laughs> which should be surprising, but just in case, <laughs> this is about Elle Woods, who has recently been dumped by her boyfriend who's going into Stanford Law, essentially because she, he thinks she's not smart enough to be by his side. So she applies to Stanford Law herself and ends up getting in. And I'm going to be honest with you, the reviews for this book are not stunning. <laughs> oh, it no. looks like one of those rare cases where the movie adaptation improves on the book. It seems like Elle is a bit of a stronger, more outspoken, more hardworking character in the movie, whereas in the book, she's more just thinking about her ex-boyfriend uh, and trying to get him back. And that's kind of the plot of the book. Mm. But there is a whole series, which I, I didn't <laughs> know about. So if you want more Elle Woods, you can read the whole series. <laughs> so that is what the wisdom of the algorithm says you should read, which is Legally Blonde by Amanda Brown. That's fascinating <laughs> on so many levels. I I have so many thoughts about this. Okay, but the one, th- the one thing I will say, this is just a fun tidbit, is that I was in college uh, when Legally Blonde 2, right? I'm pretty sure it was Legally mm-hmm. Blonde 2 was filming. And they filmed it on my college campus. And they redid the auditorium so that it said Harvard Law, like our main (laughs) sort of auditorium building. And so all of us took photos in front of it in between (laughs) shoots to be like, look, mom, I'm at Harvard. (laughs) And they trucked in. I mean, this is Southern California. So, you know, they and it's supposed to be the East Coast. So they trucked Mm -hmm. in like Thousands and thousands of pounds of fall leaves and scattered them oh all God. over the campus. So you'd be like walking to class in your tank top and shorts, and there would be these fall <laughs> leaves everywhere. And then there would be these extras in like, ha- you know, knit caps and like giant poofy coats. And I was like, they must oh be dying. It was yeah. so, it was such an experience. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. It was really fun. Um, and then I never saw that movie. So, <laughs> but I have seen Legally Blonde more than once. Oh yeah, and it does not sound like I will be reading the book. Alas, um, <laughs> yeah. interesting. I mean, you know, to address the question about yeah, like what is an algorithm and how does this work? I I do think you're right. It, I mean, it is probably more properly human versus search engine, right? Because mm. we are using a search engine's algorithm, but you have to start right. with the search engine. Um, yeah, but algorithm just has a better ring to it than yeah. human and, versus you know, search engine. Algorithms are always going to be informed in some way by humans. Like they're trying to collect right. the purchasing, you know, decisions of yes. a whole bunch of people and, and program the algorithm with it. So, you know, anything that says books like whatever yes. is using people's behavior for it. So yeah, it's not, I think, a clear line necessarily. No, it's blurry. Them. It's blurry. Yeah. So I think I think I think you used a valid technique is what I'm gonna say. Like <laughs> at, in my arbitrary that. like conception of how this show is supposed to work, like I decree yeah. that valid. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> All right. Our next question 
is from CT, who writes, I'm looking for a non-YA book similar to Heartstopper about a man who is struggling to accept his sexuality. It would be great if he were married with kids but struggling with bisexuality and how to address this and feelings for another man. Does not have to lead to divorce, but really looking for something that showcases this struggle. Bonus points for an understanding partner who is supportive as much as she can be of this revolution. CT, I just want to say before we get into this i feel like we failed you a little bit mm-hmm. there i just yeah. this was i this was unnecessarily hard like i i was yeah. really astonished by the fact that we could not easily find what you were looking for i mean it was hard to find just books about adult bi men coming yes. out which yes. is not like a an obscure or very narrow thing to ask for. No. Like that is a very basic request that is surprisingly difficult to find. And then the books that do come up, you know, the closest thing I found was very self-published, didn't have great reviews and was yeah. really more about like opening up their marriage and mm-hmm. having lots of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, or there's like those sort of, gay-for-you romances that aren't really about bisexuality, and they might be different book-to-book, but it's pretty hard to tell how they treat that. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, I agree that we failed you on this, but also this is a publisher. Yeah, this is a publishing fail. We tried really hard. Like, I know both of us tried really hard, and I I think, Danica, you, you can, like hit 50 books about bisexual women with a rock at this point from yeah. from my from anywhere near my bookcase um but, so i don't know what it is i i mean i got i got, i think i do know what it is is because bisexual mm-hmm. women have been fetishized by our culture for a very long time right mm-hmm. and so like that's sexy whereas you know bisexual men are very burdened by toxic masculinity systems and and you know patriarchal nonsense yeah. uh but it's, i i would have thought by this point we would have more stories about yeah it. exactly yeah i think it's a bunch of things working together and one of them is like mm romance specifically is quite popular yeah but it's this very specific kind of book and relationship yeah that sort of overshadows any other queer men books that are getting Mm. written like maybe they are out there and we just can't find them because you know it's not easy to search for them but it it definitely we need more getting published yeah uh, especially of by men because wow yes that's that's a problem (laughs) yeah 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 so if y'all are listening and know of any please email get booked at bookriot.com let us know all right. Well, I'll start with my recommendation. And I, so I promised that I looked really hard before I came <laughs> up with this title. Um, and I ended up with Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, which is the probably most popular MM book, most well known. So it seems really silly to recommend it, but there just aren't a lot of books about adult men coming out as bi. Never mind all the other aspects that you were hoping for that this doesn't touch on. Um, Yeah, I can, I literally off the top of my head could think of several books and anthologies about bi women Mm -hmm. coming out in marriages. Uh, But for some reason, not men. So 
ended up with red, white, and royal blue. And the reason I picked this one is because although there are some others that fit like the same amount, this is the one that actually I think comes closest to the tone of Heartstopper. This is an an actually heartwarming, happy romance. So I think that if you loved Heartstopper, this would be the closest. And it's about Alex, who is the son of the president of the USA, who gets caught by paparazzi arguing with Prince Henry at a party. And then in order to stop it from being a scandal, they fake date. And along the way, Alex begins to slowly realize that. I mean, they're they're fake friends. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're not technically. (laughs) Yeah. It's not initially dating. (laughs) Just to point that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) And then along the way, Alex begins to slowly realize that he is bisexual. So because this is a heartwarming book about coming out as bi in your late 20s, and although it doesn't specifically focus on marriage or kids, I think it's an, a good adult read-alike to Heartstopper. Uh, I'm going to throw in a bonus rack of The King of Infinite Space by Lindsay Fay, which isn't focused on coming out as bi as much as falling for a guy, but it does have a very supportive ex-girlfriend, so there's that aspect. The reason I didn't pick it as my main rack is that it is a fantasy retelling of Hamlet, so you can imagine oh. it's not very heartwarming. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot darker than Heartstopper. Uh, so that was my best try. What did the algorithm come up with? Yeah, so I mean, we just went with the algorithm for Heartstopper, and then I filtered by not YA, which was harder than I thought mm. it was going to be, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, I you know, because I have not read this book, and the reviews did not tell me um, specifically. I I think it it looks interesting and worth a try, but it is, you know, by no means specifically um, what you are looking for. It's The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran. Again, I use the storygraph uh, app. Sorry, not sorry. Um, so this is a rom-com. The mood words that we matched here were emotional, funny, and obviously LGBTQIA. And this takes place on a reality dating show set. Uh, the producer, Dev, is, you know, has worked on this reality dating show called Ever After for a very long time, is extremely successful, like really prides himself on crafting the perfect love story for his contestants. His own love life, however, is sort of a disaster. Um, And then Charlie is the new Prince Charming on this Ever After reality show. He does not believe in true love. He has only agreed to do the show in an effort to rehabilitate his image. Um, He is like a disgraced tech guy and he like is very stiff and anxious he does not know how to date 20 women on tv like who does but you know (laughs) other people manage it better than charlie it sounds like does um and so dev is like constantly trying to get charlie to like do the thing and then sparks start to fly between the two of them. So uh, this seems like a great, interesting setup um, that does, you know, I again, it was hard to tell from the reviews how much bisexuality specifically is in there, but certainly Charlie is being expected to match with a woman, and that is not what is happening in this rom-com. Um, I actually 
have this on my library holds list because now I'm super curious about it. So <laughs> I got sold. Um, again, I know, though, it's not exactly what you're looking for, but this was as close as I could get with the algorithm. So it is The Charm Offensive by Alison Cochran. And we will now take another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. All right. So moving on to question four, which was a lot easier for the algorithm, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to say right up front. <laughs> so this is from Jamie, and she says, Hi, I'm interested in recommendations for books about queer life in Berlin right before World War II. Fiction and nonfiction are both welcome. It's totally fine if the books include what happened during the war as well, but I really want a taste of what it was like for queer people like myself leading up to Hitler's rise to power. Thank you so much for your consideration, Jamie. All right, I am the human, and I went back and forth on this a little bit, but I ended up deciding to go with, I think, what is a classic of this particular, like, queer books about Berlin right around World War II. Um, so I'm recommending to you Goodbye to Berlin by Christopher Isherwood. This is technically a novel, but it's very much based on 
on Isherwood's own life and experience um, dealing with Berlin in this specific time period. Um, And it's also sort of told in stories. Like I say, this is why I'm saying it's like technically a novel, but like it's it's also it's actually kind of more like uh, snippets of different lives in Berlin at this time. So you get, you know, I mean, Cabaret is like based on this from my understanding. So you get that. Um, You get, you know, politics, you get, you know, nightlife, you get what it was like to be closeted in this situation, um, where you could be safe and where you could not. And you get this, you know, gradual rise of fascism and Nazism. So, you know, it's it is sort of of a time. So I think that's important to acknowledge going in, right? Because the way some of these things are going to be presented is like the word perverts gets used a bunch, which like, hmm, you know, it's it, it is part of that repressive time period um, is what's going on here. But uh, definitely a slice of queer life in Berlin and um, Germany during that time. So it seems like a good fit for you, especially important to acknowledge that history. Um, so again, that's Goodbye to Berlin by Christopher Isherwood. So this time I wanted to go back to Amazon, give it another try. Um, So I just searched for queer Berlin history, and this was the first result. It's Gay Berlin, Birthplace of a Modern Identity by Robert Beachy. So I think Amazon's search feature works great if you have very precise search terms (laughs) that only apply to a handful of books. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's it's going to be perfect at that point. So this is definitely not the most inspired answer because probably you have tried that too. But <laughs> <laughs> but this is a nonfiction book that is focused on the 50 years before the Nazis rise to power. It shows how at the time Berlin was leading the world in queer acceptance and culture. It was the first place to do gender confirmation surgeries. It led the world in queer research and activism, it started the first gay journal. And I think this looks like such a fascinating book and subject because we like to imagine progress as linear, but Mm. this book really shows how much was lost in terms of queer culture that we're still trying to recover because the kind of scene that it paints here is so vibrant and I can't really think of many places in the world that are like that now, Mm. Uh, never mind, you know, at that time. So that's what Amazon thinks you should read. And honestly, I don't think they're wrong. (laughs) And that's Gay Berlin by Robert Beachy. This is going to sound sort of out of nowhere, but I'm remembering how you said The Alchemist showed up, right, Mm -hmm. when you were searching for law school books. And I did some, you know, I did a little, I did a bunch of research for that question. And actually on a bunch of the like books to read before you go to law school list, that book was on them. So like I'm I'm connecting the dots now sort of belatedly. I wonder what it is about that book specifically that law people are like this book, read this book before you go to law school. Like what is that? I think it's like almost trying to stand in for like a philosophy or Mm. ethics or self-help kind of book like it's really popular for that. Yeah. I had a, a mentor teacher who taught it in uh, a high school English class for the same kind of thing of like, what's your purpose? And mm. be nice to people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's so Which interesting. I think is a lot to ask for a single novel to yes. 
teach I mean, people right. ethics before law school, but you know, give it a try, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. But it does at least give us a little idea of maybe how that yeah, book that got, makes more sense. Yeah, on that list, so it's interesting, interesting. Anyway, okay, so um, now we get to the portion of the show where we just get to recommend two books that we love that people should read and tell you why. Uh, so I'll start and we'll alternate. Um, my okay. pick is one you are going to probably hear me talk about again if the show <laughs> continues because I love it so much and I think it's actually such a good comp for a lot of um, people. It's The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. And this is perfect for everybody who wanted an inclusive and feel-good comp for House in the Cerulean Sea, which I know is a lot of our listeners because we got a bajillion questions about what you should read after that book. This is it. This is it. I'm telling you. Um, it is about Mika Moon, who is a British Indian young woman. She's like in her 20s. Um, and in this, you know, alternate version of Britain, there are witches, but they're not really a community because when witches get together, magic like does extra stuff. And so both by because of the woman who raised her, um, she's an orphan who was raised by a white British woman. Um, and because of, you know, how everything is set up, like she only sees other witches like once a year or something. Um, so she lives a pretty isolated life. Um, she is, you know, not like super in love with her life, but she's doing okay. Um, and she decided at one point just to have like an outlet because she actually really loves magic that she is pretending to be a witch online. Like she's a not fake fake witch on the internet. Um, and so she has a social media account that's not like huge, but is findable. And then one day she gets a message in her DMs from someone who is like, hi, we need a witch to come teach three witchy children. And she's like, well, this is obviously fake. Like this is not real. Um, but something makes her respond and she ends up getting hired as a tutor to go to this like giant house out in the middle of nowhere. It is literally called Nowhere House and teach these other three young orphans who have been taken in by a found family uh, about how to control their magic because, well, there's big reasons I won't get into because I, I could like literally spend 20, 30 minutes talking about this book. But it's it's found family. It's a lovely romance. There's great like thoughtfulness around representation of a lot of different kinds. And you just want Mika to get her family and she does and it's so satisfying oh my god um I just this book is like the feel-good book of my year and I think we all could use something like that so again that's The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana that sounds so fun especially oh. going into the fall <laughs> yes it's it is it's like the fall spooky heartwarming <laughs> book all right, I have a kind of autumnal read, but I would not call it heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> and that is The Book Eaters by Sunyu Dean, which I read for all the books and just loved. And it is about Devin, who is a book eater. These are this kind of secret society of people who, instead of needing food, you literally eat books and then you absorb all of the knowledge from them. And it also sort of shapes your personality depending on what you are eating. 
And there are these different houses of book eaters that all have their own patriarch and are quite controlling, especially because there are fewer and fewer women in the family. So there are fewer cis women specifically, and they are kind of running out of opportunities to have children. So all of the women in the family are married off multiple times to other families in arranged marriages. And then you have a kid there. And then you leave the kid with that family and you move on to your next marriage and do the same thing. And then eventually you go home again, but you don't actually raise your children after a few years. So we meet Devin when she is on the run with her five-year-old child. So she is trying to escape from the other book eater families. And her kid is a mind eater. So instead of eating books, this happens every once in a while, there is a kid born who eats minds. So basically sucks the mind out of someone and either kills them or leaves them with no memory, no real personality, just no mind anymore. Uh, So it is definitely has that horror element because Devin is feeding people to her son. She has to find people um, to give to him. But on the other hand, this is like a very nice kid. This is not a monstrous kid, except for that element. He's very mature because he has a bunch of adult minds in his brain. (laughs) And, uh, and he's doesn't want to do this. So what they're trying to do is find this medication that another family has that would stop him from having to be a mind eater. So that is just like the very, very basics of the story. We're going, uh, we're flipping back and forth in time from this specific moment to Devin's whole childhood and kind of how she ended up here. And it is absolutely fascinating it's like a dark fairy tale with just a little bit of horror and a little bit of body horror but not enough to feel like it's actually a horror novel it's just a big element of it and I thought it was fascinating it's also queer which really matches the theme (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah I loved it. And I talked about it on all the books. And then Liberty was convinced to read it based on what I said, and she loved it too. So (laughs) that should give you reason to pick it up. So that is The Book Eaters by Sunya Dean. So you're going to be two for two, because I've had that on my list for a while, but I was worried about the horror elements. And from the sound of it, it sounds like something I could actually read and enjoy. So pat yourself on the back. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you might want to like skim a a few pages, but not not a ton. (laughs) Okay, that's great. Because I would have to say when I first read the premise, I was like super identify with the idea of not of eating people's minds, but of (laughs) your mind being shaped by what you've just read like I know that if I've gotten really deep into a book I I feel like my my brain is different after I it's true right like it takes a little while for like the rhythms of the prose to wear off um in my brain 
sometimes I like catch a narrator and I'm suddenly narrating my life in like a really weird way that does not match me. Yeah, it's definitely contagious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's science about this. It's called like entrainment or something. But regardless, I like I love the idea of making it, you know, fantastical. So and it is nice to hear that I probably will be able to handle the heart elements. So hooray for that. Um, Okay, my second book is nonfiction. It is a memoir I am reading right now. It is my bedtime book, which actually is going to sound a little weird when I tell you it's about. But anyway, it's The Yellow House by Sarah M. Broom. This memoir is a stunner, y'all. I think the reason that it's actually working as my bedtime book, which is my like, okay, wind down, like get my brain settled a little bit, is that even though it's about like hard stuff, uh, the pacing of it is so sort of gentle and it's and Broom is so reflective and thoughtful and like very sort of um, it's a it's slow burn. It's gradually unfolding the story of her family in uh, New Orleans East. So she grew up in this like small and eventually very dilapidated house um, in New Orleans East, which is this, you know, historically sort of isolated and and under-resourced area um, outside of where, you know, the main section of New Orleans that everybody knows for tourism, et cetera. Um, But like there's a NASA plant there for a long time. There were good jobs that eventually went away. Um, And Sarah's mother, uh, Ivory May, ended up having 12 children um, out of two different marriages. And Sarah is the youngest. And she is putting together the stories that she's been told by aunts and uncles, by her mother, by her older siblings, some in some cases much older siblings, um, her own memories of growing up in that house. And, you know, I just hit the point where she's talking about... Uh, when Katrina hit and then the aftermath of that. So like, you know, not not great stuff. A lot of a lot of not great stuff happened. Um, But it's just so incredibly written. I just can't get over the writing of this book. It is so compelling, so absorbing. I just lose myself as soon as I start reading. And I really appreciate um, the way that Broom is bringing this this neighborhood and her family to life for me. So I just think it's an incredible memoir that more people should read. Uh, Hence, we are talking about it. So again, that's The Yellow House (laughs) by Sarah M. Broom. Okay, my last pick is one of those books I find difficult to talk about because I just think it's brilliant. And I feel like when I talk about it, I'm not gonna be able to do it justice. Uh, But it's called Buffalo is the New Buffalo by Chelsea Vowell. So the title is a reference to there's a very common kind of slogan um, called Education is the New Buffalo that is about... um, indigenous people going more into education. And Hmm. basically, Chelsea Vowell's sort of thesis statement for this whole short story collection is that Buffalo is the new Buffalo, (laughs) that it's not about letting go of pre-contact ways or traditional ways of doing things, but that they are just as relevant to the future as they were to the past. 
So this is a collection of what she calls Métis Futurism, which is kind of under the umbrella of Indigenous Futurism, which was inspired by Afrofuturism. And it definitely has connections to sci-fi and fantasy, but it is a little different because it is specifically Indigenous and, in Chelsea Vowell's case, uh, Métis, and talking about... Um, kind of the connection between past, present, and future in Métis ways of being. So this is a collection of short stories that are about a whole bunch of different things. So there is a two-spirit Rougarou, who is a shapeshifter. There are some historical fiction stories with a little bit of a fantastical edge to it. There's a superhero story. There are really interesting sci-fi stories, and then ones that are more metaphorical and uh, sort of fabulous. But what I found really interesting about this collection is that there are footnotes that explain a lot of the references, and then there's also a short essay after each one where Vowell explains um, what she was trying to do with this, basically. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm remembering right, that it turns out that this was her dissertation, Mm. that um, this was like how she decided to format it was as a collection of short stories. And each of these short stories are so interesting. So one of them is about uh, these babies who are given nanites that make Cree their uh, only language, basically. So because Cree is becoming spoken less and less, and there are very few people where that is their native language, that they try to keep it alive by giving them these nanites, but it also means that they'll never learn any other language because it basically gets translated automatically through these tiny little robots. Um, So it's talking about the implications of that. I thought it's really interesting to see how she is talking about technology being used in Métis futures and how it can help with cultural resilience. Um, It's so thought-provoking. And again, I feel like I'm not going to do it justice (laughs) trying to talk about it, Uh, but I really appreciate the way that she explains and expands on those ideas so it makes it a lot more um, accessible, even if you don't know a lot about Métis culture. So I highly recommend it, even if you just like sci-fi fantasy. I think you're going to love these stories. But if you are looking to read more thought-provoking books or books about Indigenous culture and uh, knowledge systems, I think you would also appreciate it. And that is Buffalo is the New Buffalo by Chelsea Vowell. I literally just requested that from my library. <laughs> like, yes. You were like halfway through the description. And I was like, I need it. Give it so to good. me. I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about it because I this is definitely one where you finish and you're like, who can I talk to you about oh, this? Okay. Like, <laughs> Noted you will be getting some DMs from me. Yes, please. <laughs> as soon as I get it from the library. <laughs> All right. Well, Danica, thank you for going on this experiment journey with me. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, And thank you all for listening. Keep on sending your feedback. We've seen some great feedback already, so I'm so glad that y'all are liking this, but keep it coming. Um, And big thanks to those of you who have already sent uh, some in. You can do that. Get booked at bookriot.com. If you would like more recommendations that are not from an algorithm, you can go (laughs) to bookriot.com and get lots of those. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. If you are so inclined, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, wherever. Uh, It helps other people to find the show. Um, And yeah, thanks to our sponsors. And oh, right. You can find us in between shows on social media. Where should the people look for you, Dan? You can find me on Twitter at Danica Ellis. That's D-A-N-I-K-A-E-L-L-I-S. And where can I find you? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen I-R-L, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen I-R-L. And we'll talk to you next time. 